What would you tell you five years ago? What's your message from the future from what you've learned about what he should be doing differently? I know you think that you are a constructivist, and so you need to let everyone find their own way. But I'm telling you, if you get more specific and precise and invite people into that precision, they're going to like it more and they're going to be more effective. And of course, would completely not believe me. (laughs) (laughs) From High Tech High, this is the Unbox Learning Podcast. I'm Alec Patton. You just heard me talking to Ben Daly, president of High Tech High's Graduate School of Education. One of the graduate school's big projects is the Carpe College Access Network. It's been going for a few years, but today we're talking about last year when they focused on raising FAFSA completion rates. FAFSA is the free application for federal student aid. It's the form you need to complete in order to get financial aid from the government. We won't actually be talking much about FAFSA at all in this episode, but we did another episode that goes deeper on FAFSA itself. It's about trying to get more kids to submit their FAFSA forms at Calexico High School, and it's called the $50,000 Prize. You should definitely listen to it after you've listened to this one. In this episode, Ben explains how doing this FAFSA improvement project last year totally transformed how he thinks about school improvement. And I'll be honest, when he first told me what he figured out, I was like, isn't that just obviously how you do things? But pretty soon I realized that although it was incredibly obvious, it was also the opposite of how I've been approaching improvement throughout my entire life. In order to make sense of this, we need to start with what Ben means by improvement. You use the term improvement yeah. with a capital I. Yes. Like what makes improvement mm-hmm. capital I improvement rather than lowercase I improvement? There's these three improvement questions. What are you trying to accomplish? What are you going to do differently? And how will you know if that change led to an improvement? See what I mean about this stuff sounding obvious? But to demonstrate how unusual this approach is, Ben gave me the example of being a high school teacher and teaching the same lesson four times in a day. After first period, you're like, okay, I should probably make some changes. So making changes is something that's very obvious to teachers, I think. We're not going to just keep doing things exactly the same way. But are we being disciplined about did the change we made actually lead to an improvement? And before we try the change, did we say beforehand, how are we going to know? That has felt to me like a really profound insight. So when I think about capital I improvement, that's one way that I would frame it. Yeah, I mean, I think my kind of classic mistake that I just made again and again and again is I I would do something first period and someone would be like, that sucks and everybody in the class hates it. And I would be like, oh, we're not doing that. And then suddenly three quarters of the class would be like, we love that. What are you talking about? That was the best. Like, Like that was like what it looks like when you try to improve without this like disciplined framework. And for me, that's the kind of thing with it is that those are the obvious questions, but when you ask them implicitly, you don't really ask them very well. Yeah. And I would just say improvement by anecdote is what we all do all the time. That same very human way to behave is your school principal and one teacher's complaining, oh, okay, gosh, I should watch out for that, I guess. And like, of course you want to consider everyone, but it's like the squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of a thing. It gets a problem also. What about all the other wheels? Yeah, exactly. Let's recap the three questions of improvement with a capital I. And so it's, what do I want to accomplish? What am I going to do differently in order to accomplish that? And how will I know if If the change was an improvement? Now that you've got that, here's what the Carpe College Access Network actually did last year. We're like, we're working on FAFSA completion. It's like, really? You're working on FAFSA completion? Like, of all the things? Why? Well, here's a series of reasons of why we think this would be the thing to work on. And by the way, you don't have to be in the network. Like, it's totally cool. But like, if you're in the network, we're working on FAFSA completion, y'all. Like, 
come on, like that's what we're doing right now, and, and let's make and let's persuade you this is worth doing. Yeah. And we know that we're at this percent, and our goal is to get to that percent by this March second. So there's like a real specificity there. Yeah. And then, like you say, even within that, well, what are we going to do about FAFSA? Well, everyone's got a million ideas, and I don't think the solution is you know the people at the top have all the answers and just dictate what you should do so people are trying different things but also we have some evidence for these four practices so we we want to highlight these for you yeah these might be things worth taking up maybe they make no sense in your context and what were the four practices that the carpe team was recommending the first was to get going early because the fafsa is not due until march 2nd in california and so lots of people are waiting but actually part of our theory is that if kids complete the the FAFSA in October, then they might already know that they have financial aid through the Cal Grant in early November, which they would mean they already know that tuition's covered for UC or California State University school. And so maybe kids would be more likely to apply right. to a four-year college if they already had this feeling of like, oh, we the tuition's covered. Great. I, of course I should apply. Yeah. So that's a theory. The second thing is um, there's a website password protected where we each school can download the list of students and see whether they have their FAFSA uh, completed correctly and some other information and but lots of schools are not aware of how to get that information then even if they get it it's not that simple actually it's that kind of sounds easy but to download the information match it up with your senior class and then make some sense of that data mm-hmm. is like a little bit more involved than it sounds so we, we have found that to be a pretty challenging task uh, for schools. The third is then, um, <laughs> once you know that Alec hasn't done the FAFSA yet, you should probably do something with Alec. Which seems obvious, but according to Ben, most high schools are taking an approach that's a little less targeted. The primary FAFSA intervention is they get on the loudspeaker and say, please remember to turn in the FAFSA. And that does not seem like probably the best method. But if we know which kids haven't done it, obviously we can be more targeted. So this is kind of obvious, but not obvious. And the final thing is that lots of schools have a family night to tell families about FAFSA. But first of all, who, which families come? That's obviously an important question to look into. But then also, what do you do once they're there? And there's some research evidence that if you tell families about FAFSA, this has very little impact on them. And if you say, here, will you sit down next to me and I'm gonna help you fill out the FAFSA right now? This has a major impact, not just on FAFSA completion, but on college going and college persistence. Yeah. And the other thing I would say that I think is not obvious is even if you say work with families and sit next to them and help them do the FAFSA, that sounds kind of like specific, but actually like what, how would you do that? And how would we do it in our context? Like if 20 families come up, do we have 20 adults who could be there? Who do we have who even knows how to help families with FAFSA? Logistically, how would we even make that happen? And which families can come? And does it need to be during the day? Is it going to be after school or before school or on the weekend? Or maybe we should be out in the community? So there's like so much rich work to be done, even when it feels like this idea is pretty well specified. Yeah. And so I think we tend, as educators and maybe it's just as people we tend to kind of really uh, underestimate how much rich work there is to do in the actual implementation of an idea, even if it seems like a kind of simple thing. You're sitting next to a family and they're saying, actually, I didn't turn in my taxes last year. What do I do now? Yeah. And like, how many of us know the answer to that question? I still don't even know today that the answer to that question. So how are you building up the expertise that you need? And a great way to figure this out is just sit down with three families and try to do it. And you're going to find out all the yeah. stuff you don't know, right? 
Once again, here are the four practices that the Carpe team was suggesting. First, get started early in the school year. Second, get access to the list of students that show who has submitted a completed FAFSA form and who has not. Third, once you know who hasn't submitted their FAFSA form yet, focus your support on those students. And fourth, literally sit down next to families to help them complete their FAFSA forms. Now, someone somewhere is listening to this thinking, this sounds like a lot of handholding for these families. Maybe if you aren't ready to submit a form on time without your teachers helping you every step of the way, you aren't ready to go to college. Ben has some thoughts about that. My perspective on this is very impacted by the fact that I worked at an elite girls boarding school where they had a senior class of like 70 kids and they had, I think, three or four full-time college counselors. And they held the hands of those kids every step of the way, like literally to the point that as a teacher, the student would ask the college counselor to let me know about the, the teacher reference. And I would give the teacher recommendation letter to the counselor, not even to the kid. And then the counselor would read my letter and then mark it up and send it back and be like, no, you need to rewrite this part. And then the counselor would put the letter in an envelope and stamp it and send it in themselves. And so we have this idea that, oh, kids are picking themselves up by their bootstraps. And yet in the most elite schools, the wealthiest kids, there's all this support. And then we're expecting like, oh, these kids from low-income backgrounds who are first gen, of course they should figure it out on their own somehow. I hope that silenced any doubts you have. If not, as Ben would put it, you don't have to be in the network. I did wonder though, with the scope of not just the problem, but also the recommended interventions defined so narrowly, were they worried that nobody would want to join? Yeah, that was our fear. Yeah. You know, we started from a place of we're trying to get people to join us in this thing. And also coming from a constructivist perspective of like, you can't just go around telling everyone what to do, so you've got to let people own it and all that stuff. So that was how we launched our college access network three years prior. And then each year we were like, you know, this would work a lot better if we were a lot clearer with people and we were a lot more specific and we were a lot more clear to say, it's cool if you don't want to be part of this network, but like, this is the direction we're going and no one has to do it. But like we're taking a strong stance and each year we got more and more specific. And I think it's also it's also interesting like with that, that if you put yourself in the shoes of a school who might be interested in joining our network and you have that kind of sense of like, oh, if we like specify these four things, they're not going to want to do it. If I were like, imagine the difference between being like someone being like, you have to raise FAFSA here. If you join this, your goal is to raise, raise this FAFSA, you know, think about how to do it. And then they were like, I don't want to cramp your style, but there are like, four things that we have a pretty good sense are going to work. <laughs> I wouldn't be like, how dare you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that's the other thing is there's so much stuff to improve in all of our schools. And so if someone else has like some re- good reasons for why this would be a good thing to work on, I think that's pretty compelling. Yeah. It's a thing that's really important yeah. and like almost completely unattended to. Yeah. And like, yeah, just to even get to even think let it, do you have the data? Have you ever even wondered what percentage of your students have completed FAFSA? I had never thought about that four years ago. Yeah. But, but I think what's can, kind of interesting about improvement work is it can, I think, from a distance, kind of look like this top-down approach. But I think if you're inside it, it actually feels like there's a lot. There's actually more agency for people who are closer to kids being guided in like this interesting inquiry cycle yeah. as opposed to being mandated a bunch of policies to follow. To distill Ben's first big life-changing insight about improvement down to a single sentence, it's this. Defining a problem narrowly and offering evidence-based solutions to it didn't limit the schools in the Carpe College Access Network. It inspired them. His second insight was that it was a good idea to keep track of what happened to FAFSA completion when schools tried out the four practices that the Carpe team recommended. 
This meant starting with a revolutionary idea. Maybe not everyone in a college access network actually follows through on all the stuff they plan to do. You have an idea about something you're going to change. And then it's kind of like you just assume that everyone did the thing. But in fact, if as a teacher, you give all the students, here's this thing that you should do. (laughs) We all know every student does not perfectly follow your instructions. But in a school leadership context, there can be, I think, a stronger assumption. Well, the principal said to do this thing or the district issued this mandate like of course everyone is now doing that thing which like of course everyone is not doing that thing and so when we had this idea of here are four practices that we think would lead to improvement we were totally aware and and we were paying attention along the way as well but we knew everyone was not doing the four things that we were suggesting so it was kind of like a moment you're in the mist you're running around you're collecting data you're talking to people you got all these things going i was like okay let's just pause and just check in just like a little status check every school Every practice, where are we at? How is that matching up with results? So how did you know who was doing what? We have coaches that work with each school and they meet with them, you know, in a phone call or video call. And so the first round was just like, to the best that we know, what do we know about schools? And so there were some like question marks, you know, after the first round of this exercise, there was a lot that was filled in. There was some stuff we weren't so yeah. sure about. And then at the next coaching call, coaches were following up and saying, oh yeah, tell me, how did, like, what have you been doing? Did you actually do this? We were, we were just talking about that. And, and then just kind of filled out the picture from that, from that kind of conversation. Yeah. I know that knowing myself, there'd be a lot of like, damn it, I forgot to ask them about the FAFSA completions. <laughs> I'll have to do that next phone call. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so, so yeah, because there's all this stuff going on in schools, yeah, and we're not robotically like marching through, you know, this. Did you do practice number one? Did you do practice number two? It's like, yeah, they're like, how's it going? And oh, it's what's going on in our school, and there's a, a challenge there. So like, yeah, it's it's it sounds easy. Even that sounds easier yeah. than it actually is in practice. But you could kind of go like, and it's also that's also a really nice thing to like, a really easy thing to like send an email follow. Like, um, I forgot to ask, what are you doing with working with families on FAFSA completion, mm-hmm. on like you know help 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 helping them out with that? And like, oh yeah, we're just we're trying to organize this thing, but we're trying to um, so. My guess is that the answer was rarely yes or no. And I can imagine there were schools who from day one were like, we're going to have this session where we sit down with parents and we work on it side by side. And it never actually happened. Right. And it was always, oh, totally. well, we just need to coordinate. So I imagine they'd kind of like, there'd be like red, green, yellow. Yeah, and yellow. that's exactly what we did. We had yeah. a one to three scale just to have a little bit more nuance. Of course, that doesn't even capture it. But it was just like, it was like in an hour, how much can we learn about this and 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 do something quick to get some more information. The other thing that happened I thought was interesting was then after we looked at the four interventions, we also said, coaches, think about your schools. Are there other practices that it seems like they're doing? And in in particular, for the schools that are doing well, is there stuff that they're all kind of doing that other schools aren't doing? And we said, yes, absolutely. If some schools have a tendency to do all this work outside of the school day, guess what? only certain kids are going to show up for that. Mm-hmm. And if you move it into the school day and there's an avid teacher, there's a, math, a senior math teacher, there's somebody who's like embedding it in the school day, that's making a big difference. So then we were able to then name that back out to other schools and say, well, you know, actually these schools have been doing this. Maybe that's something you want to consider. Yeah. There's one final insight that goes beyond the college access network itself. The FAFSA form is unwieldy, it's confusing and difficult to complete in a bunch of ways that make it harder for first-generation college students to get access to financial aid. And the Carpe College Access Network has collected a lot of data about how it could be better. This puts them in a position not just to respond to government policy, 
but to transform it. As you're getting into the weeds of how the FAFSA actually works, then another question comes to mind right away, like, well, why is this even like that? Yeah. And then if I'm a guidance counselor at Random High School, like how much agency do I have? But potentially as a network of schools that are working on this, maybe you start to have a platform to say to policymakers, hey, you know, we've been improving this thing, but also we've learned some stuff that could you please change the way this works? So yeah. that's, I think, part of the... I think there's opportunity in understanding the system better to then be have clearer statements about how we could change it. That is another example of something that's really obvious once you say that yes. loud. That was Ben Daly, president of the High Tech High Graduate School of Education and one of the leaders of the Carpe College Access Network. You can find out more about what the College Access Network has learned about FAFSA in the show notes. This episode of Unboxed Learning was written and edited by me, Alec Patton. Our theme music is by Brother Herschel. Thanks for listening.